Hatton Hatch, read by the author. Today's tales, If Hope Could Be Bottled, and Into Baratova. Forward. On July 8th, 2015, I lost my father after a short illness. I wrote this poem slash story on a 25-minute train journey between Clapham Junction and Farnborough, Maine, on one of my many visits to Frimley Park Hospital. At this point, Dad had stabilised and we were optimistic about his chances. The following story, Into Baratova, I wrote a few months after his untimely and tragic death. However, both themes are the same. I miss him every day, but I'm glad to have had such a wonderful father. And even though our time together was much shorter than I would have liked, I couldn't have asked for more from him. Though we never got to read this book in full, he was incredibly proud that I was writing it. And that's what has kept me going when all I've wanted to do is close my laptop and disappear. This is for you, big guy. If hope could be bottled. Upon the unearthing of the precious hope reserves, there would be an almighty fight. Tank after tank, tyrant after tyrant, government after government would roll into the lands containing the hope, and each in turn would lay their claim with violence. Finally, the one with the most technologically advanced guns would assume control, but they would promise to sell the hope to all the others, so that there would be not be any more death and violence. After that, things would be peaceful and prosperous for a time. The kinder leaders of the world would want, would hand the hope out for free, and the people would be content, for even if they had nothing but hope, the hope would drive them forward, encouraging them to better their lives. The men at the top would not need the hope, as the world they were running would be near enough perfect. But, as the hope reserves began to diminish, the leaders would start having to charge people for the hope they craved. Small amounts at first, but hope would become increasingly more expensive as the stocks depleted. Eventually, the poorest would sell what little they had for a sliver of hope. The people controlling the hope would have to stop selling to other countries, leading to an epidemic of despair spreading universally. Tyrannical and impressive states would grow from this despair in order to keep the peace, yet less and less hope would remain to keep the peace. Ultimately, only the richest and most powerful would be left with hope, but these people would mostly just hope that the impending uprising was not going to happen. Inevitably, the world would tear itself apart due to hopelessness and desperation, reducing cities to rubble and turning friend against friend and neighbour against neighbour. And out of the ashes would come a little girl, orphaned and alone and looking for food. She would scavenge in the house of a long-dead billionaire, and come across a bottle of the hope. She would take a draught and look out across the desolate wasteland that used to be civilization, and she would be hopeful that they could rebuild and have a better society than ever before. But this feeling wouldn't last long. If hope was bottled, it would be the most valuable resource in the world, more than oil, more than gold, more than money, more than power. Be thankful that hope is free. Never give it up. Into Baratova. 
Tom sat at the open window, huddled in his parka jacket, taking long metronomic pulls on his cigarette. He could just about see the Moskva River, illuminated by the streetlights of the main road that ran adjacent, glittering in the twilight. He stared at it without taking it in, trying to shake off the last vestiges of the bottle of vodka he'd polished off the night before. He couldn't sleep. It wasn't uncommon these days, but he felt particularly aggrieved about tonight's insomnia, knowing that the morning would bring unprecedented levels of uncertainty. All are stirred in the sagging bed with the polyester sheets. The hotel room was so stereotypically Soviet, he wondered whether it was purposely designed for Western tourists as a joke. Still, it was cheap, and considering how much money he was paying for the trip, cheap was good. Orla let out a huge sigh and fell still. The words kept on running through his head, even after he had deleted the message and gotten rid of the phone. The same little grey speech bubble would flash up unexpectedly, just to remind him of what a fuck-up he was. It's okay. We'll figure something out. It's not the end of the world. I'm still proud of you, Dad. Perfect grammar. He had always been infuriated by tech-speak. Tom used to find it funny, deliberately dropping in lines such as Talk to you later, just to receive the peevish text back Speak English, won't you? Tom had arrived in Moscow that previous morning, a red-eye flight in which he'd used the remaining four Valium his doctor prescribed to get him to sleep. Getting a visa hadn't been easy. Having been arrested for a few minor offences, Russia did not want him. He ended up petitioning the Russian embassy about his plans to start up a charity, rescuing Moscow's street dogs and bringing them to Britain to find new owners. Yuri had confirmed this story, and the Kremlin granted his visa after four whole months of tedious email exchanges and falsified business plans for what looked increasingly like a fool's errand. All the rolled over, looking dazedly over at Tom, one eye still closed. What time is it? she asked, pulling herself up slightly. No idea, Tom said, still staring out at the river. All a shimmy to the edge of the bed and reached into a bag on the floor, extracting her phone. I won't be able to sleep, Tom said shortly. Well, replied Ola, smiling, we don't need to sleep. Tom broke his silent visual and looked over at her. He'd met her the night before at the backpacker's bar, a few roads over. He'd been putting away his vodka, trying to empty his head when she appeared next to him. She'd asked him several questions, to which Tom had answered with one-word grunts, trying to get rid of her. Eventually, she just sat next to him, drinking silently, but occasionally catching Tom's eye and grinning. Tom gave in after 15 minutes and started chatting to her. She was interrailing around Europe with a couple of friends. They were all from Gothenburg and were employed in drab office jobs. A few months ago, we just thought, fuck it, and all three of us quit the next day and bought our tickets. Best choice I've ever made. Tom had stayed mostly silent. She seemed fun, confident, and was great company. After finishing his bottle of vodka, he invited her back to see his Soviet masterpiece of a room. Why not have one more night of fun? Who knew what tomorrow would bring? He regretted bringing her back now. She lay naked in a bed, tapping her hand suggestively on the navy bedspread, her blonde hair tousled from sleep. He looked stonily at her. Come on, Tom. We're young, free, and miles away from home. Let's have an adventure, she said, chuckling at his dour expression. Tom softened. I'm sorry, Ola. I've just got a big day ahead of me, he said, smiling weakly. 
She examined him for a moment before hopping out of bed, putting her large coat on and joining him on the windowsill. She took a cigarette out of his packet and lit it. Why so serious, she said, tilting her head to the side, her face just inches from Tom's. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. I don't really believe it myself. Try me, she said, rubbing his shoulder with her spare hand. He looked hard at her for the moment, wondering how much to relate her. It had been eating at his insides for months, becoming unbearable to live with. Surely telling someone was a good idea. Isn't that what a counsellor had told him? Get things off your chest? What were the chances that he was going to see this girl again? Six months ago, I lost my dad, he said, sounding like a news reporter. You lost him? Lost him how? She said, trying to sound sensitive but failing. I just... I lost him. Tom put his head down, trying to muster up the energy to go through this again. And I lost myself. I'm an only child, and my mother left us when I was six. It was all I had, and I lost him. Ola put her hand on it, his, intertwining their fingers, urging him on. The last six months have been a blur. I lost my job, drank a lot, started fights with strangers in bars. All the cliché things men do when they lose everything. He fiddled at the pack of cigarettes, extracting another one, and lit it, his hand shaking. Ola took another drag, waiting for him to go on. A few weeks ago, I was drinking alone in a bar in Pimlico, when a guy comes and sits in the seat opposite me. He says I look down, so he thought he'd come and cheer me up. He was tipsy, but on the level, you know. I was in control. He told me he was called Andre, and he was from Russia. He'd been travelling with the Moscow Circus, and they were taking a short break before playing the Royal Albert Hall. I asked him what he did, and he told me he made dreams come true. Tom took another puff. Saying it out loud made it sound more ridiculous than he had thought it would. He felt embarrassed, ashamed, but all that was still hanging on his every word. Are you sure you want to hear this? he asked, glancing up at her. Of course, I love magic, she smiled at him, kindly. Tom smiled back. So I asked Andre what that would entail, and he explained to me. It would mostly be children asking for dinosaurs or elephants, or things like that, at which point he would produce a giant puppet of whatever animal they wanted. Sometimes, however, they'd ask to fly, at which point he would invite them on stage, surreptitiously attach them to a harness, and pull them into the air. Most of them would be terrified at first, but after that initial shock had passed, they'd be elated, flying around the circus like Superman. I asked him what happens when an adult asks him for the dream to come true. Tom jumped down from the windowsill to grab a glass of water. All awaited patiently. He told me most people wanted happiness for their children, or financial security, something like that. At which point Andre would give them a stock tip, you know, as a joke. But he'd always give the same piece of advice. He would say, as long as you have hope, that one tiny emotion that is so easily trumped by hate, or sorrow, or loneliness, or pain, you have to maintain hope. If you still have hope, then all your dreams are possible. Tom climbed back on the windowsill. Orla took his hand again. So, are you in Moscow to see Andre? She asked. Tom grinned. Not exactly. I'm here because hope has brought me here. He shook his head, laughing to himself. If he'd sounded absurd before, he was about to sound committable. Do you believe in alternate universes? He asked Orla, smiling at her. She looked taken aback. Like string theory, she said, looking wary. 
Exactly. The idea that there are infinite number of universes other than the one we live in right now, all based on trillions of different decisions that are made by every living species in the universe, or the never-ending different ways weather and physics and chemical reactions can change the course of time, that each one creates a different reality, a different world. I've heard of it, but I haven't really given it much thought. It's too big, she said, still looking wary, but curious all the same. What if I was to tell you there was a gateway to one of those alternate universes right here in Moscow, he said, trying to keep a straight face. It was just so ridiculous. All of us smiling too now. And let me guess, you think your dad is lost within this universe and you're going to find him. You see that duffel bag on a the chair there, Tom said, nodding towards the Fredbear armchair in the corner of the room. Take a look inside. Orla climbed off the windowsill and walked over to the bag tentatively. She slowly unzipped it and pulled it open. A clump of 10,000 rubles fell to the floor. The bag was full to the brim. Orla gasped. 10 million rubles to get into the new world, he said, and he was openly laughing now. Orla started laughing as well. You're insane, she said, picking up the fallen notes and replacing them. Totally insane. She walked back over to the wind windowsill, still laughing, and lit another cigarette. How did you find out about this magic door? It's not a door, it's a portal, Tom replied, and they both burst into fits of uncontrolled laughter, holding on to each other, heaving with mirth. They laughed so much it physically hurt. It made Tom feel a lot better. The vodka felt like a long time ago now. After a few minutes, the laughter finally subsided. So how did you find out about it? Ola asked, wiping tears from her eyes. Andre, I told you, he makes dreams come true. She looked as if she was going to laugh again. I'm serious. He put me, put me in touch with this guy, Yuri. He helped me get into Russia and has given me a date, time, location and price. It's about three hours' time. She looked at him, totally dumbfounded. So I'm your last bit of business before heading off into the new world. I'm flattered, she said, giving him a nod. You shouldn't refer to yourself as a bit of business, Tom said, grinning. And you can come with me if you like. He said it without thinking and almost immediately regretted it. He'd only just met the girl, and here he was inviting her on what might easily be the stupidest thing he or anyone had ever done. But she was great. He felt incredibly in sync with her, like this was meant to happen. She looked genuinely excited for a minute, but her smile failed. I think the 10 million rubles might be a little above my budget, she said, and she turned around and walked to the toilet, leaving Tom feeling more foolish than ever. They left the hotel just after dawn, the sun breaking through the autumn gloom. Tom threw his arm around all there as they walked the few hundred metres back to her hostel, the duffel bag in his other hand. They were both very quiet, dotting the silence with the odd glance at each other. There was still an awful lot to say to one another, but no time to say it. They reached Orla's hostel. Tom withdrew his arm and turned to face her, grabbing her hand. He tried several times for the words while she looked sadly up at him. Well, you never know. I might meet a slightly different version of you on the other side, she laughed, looking down at her feet. I'm sure she won't be as wonderful as you, though, Tom said, and he kissed her very gently on the forehead. Or, when this all turns out to be a hoax, you can come back and stay in hostel with me, as you'll be poor, she said, looking up into Tom's eyes. Tom smiled and pulled her into an embrace. Neither of them let go for a long time. Tom worried this was going to be his last chance to be close to anyone. They pulled apart and kissed each other lightly on the lips. 
Tom moved his hands down her arms and grabbed her hand, gave them a squeeze and began to walk off. Orla stared after him. Are you sure you know what you're doing? She shouted. He turned and looked back at her, grinning. Absolutely no idea, Tom responded. He held up his hand and she mirrored him and once again he turned and walked away. Every shred of Tom's understanding of the world was being tested. He prided himself on being a man of science, a staunch atheist, someone who, was, who ingested knowledge for fun, just for his own betterment. Yet here he was carrying a duffel bag full of unmarked rubles, ready to hand it over to a stranger in order to gain access to another world. It was lunacy. But hadn't several learned men and women written extensively about this theory? Wasn't there evidence to support the theory? Hypothetical evidence, but evidence all the same. The street cleaners were out as the sun crept ever higher. Moscow was beginning to wake up. A police car drove past. He wondered what he would say if they stopped and talked to him. A British, nas British national with a bag full of cash wandering around Moscow at the crack of dawn. Best case scenario, he would lose the money. Worst case scenario, it wasn't worth thinking about. The comfort and elation he had felt when talking to Orla ebbed away. To, to be replaced by the same physical pain in his stomach that had been ever-present since he'd lost his father. That guttural, visceral, acidic black hole that throbs day and night. He tried to tell himself it was just the pain from the alcohol and the poor diet, but he knew better. His brain started whirring again, remembering everything that had happened. The revelation, that text message. It's okay, we'll figure something out. It's not the end of the world. I'm still so proud of you. Dad. He walked on, having memorised the route from walking it several times the day before, not noticing anything, trying not to think of anything, but the words just kept running through his mind. He'd been such a disappointment, yet his dad had just been there, willing to help at a moment's notice. And now he wasn't, and he never thought that absence would cause him this discomfort, this self-loathing, this fear, this anguish. If there was a way to get his father back, then he had to try. There were a few early morning commuters out and about now, buying papers and getting coffee. Tom felt as separate from them, from them as if they were pot plants as he walked on, his brain muddled. All he could think of was to get through that door, that portal, whatever the hell it was. He rounded a corner and onto the street where he was meeting Yuri. He paused, looking down at his duffel bag. This was all the money that he had left. The money that was supposed to go on a mortgage or into a savings account, and here he was about to give it to a virtual stranger, a man he had only ever met via Skype. He carried on along his path and saw a man in a large grey parker standing outside a convenience store. Yuri lifted up his hands to acknowledge Tom, then resumed rubbing them together. Tom sped up. Yuri? Tom, nice to meet you, buddy, he said, taking Tom's hand and shaking it. Follow me. Yuri started walking up the road. He seemed slightly anxious, but cheerful. How was your night? Fine, thanks. Had a few too many vodkas, to be honest. Yuri laughed. It's no stereotype. Russian vodka is the best. In, in here. He opened up a door to what appeared to be a deserted office block, holding the door open for Tom. Have any trouble getting through immigration? No, went straight through. Ah, that's because you were here to rid the city of those pesky dogs, Yuri said, chuckling. They started walking up a flight of stairs and onto the first floor, before crossing what looked like, the, like a large open-plan office. There were a few broken desks and chairs scattered about, and a stained blue carpet. It was slightly eerie. 
A few months ago, Tom would have been terrified that he'd made a mistake at this point, but his head was still in, in that numb, befuddled mode. So he kept following through another door and into a corner office. There was nothing in here except a large wooden board resting against the far wall and a duffel bag, not unlike Tom's. There were no windows. Yuri turned round to face Tom. Have you got the money? Tom handed over the bag and Yuri unzipped it, rifling through it to make sure no skullduggery had gone on. Satisfied, he zipped the bag up and looked up at Tom, grinning. What's to stop me running out of that door with your money? Yuri said. Tom smiled back. Guess there isn't anything. Yuri continued to grin at Tom as if measuring him up. He just smiled benignly back. He could run, but honestly, he didn't have the energy. After a minute or so, Yuri picked up the other duffel bag and threw it at Tom. Your documents, money, and all the information you're going to need. He strode across the room, dropping the bag of rubles as he went, and with one shove, pushed back the wooden board. There was a rough hole in the wall, as if someone had gone at it with a sledgehammer, but through the hole was a meadow of purple heather, running down to what looked like a huge lake with a beautiful blue hue. The time of day looked the same, except the sun seemed to be that much brighter, that much closer than in Moscow. This is Baratova. That's the name of the country. This is just the countryside. Tom stared, transfixed at the landscape. It was beautifully enticing, like a brilliant light. Tom was drawn forward. He strode tentatively at first, before quickening and stopping dead in front of the portal. He slowly pushed his arm through it. It felt exactly the same on the other side. Yuri smiled. So, you want some company for a couple of hours? I can tell you where to go, talk, talk you through the information. Sure, said Tom, and he took a step across the threshold into the new world, a world full of hope. That was If Hope Could Be Bottled and Into Baratova from Tales of the Infinitely Possible by Jonathan Hatch, read by the author. In the next tale, Bradley and his friends decide who to invite round for dinner in The Best Visitor. Until then, hold on to hope. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.